Good morning again, and Happy New Year, everybody. And Happy Birthday, CGS. This is actually our first birthday, and I think it's going to be quite the memorable one. Um, I just want to start off by saying we give thanks to God for His goodness. And just as we were reminded during our retreat, we remember the goodness and faithfulness God has shown us and what He has done for us. And even if we would be in the wilderness, we see how God's goodness is shining on us, leading the way. So I give thanks to God for this first birthday for our church. Let's pray. Living God, help us so to hear your holy word that we may truly understand. That understanding we may believe and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience. Seeking your honor and glory in all that we do through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So I went to the restaurant to pick up some food the other day this past week. And uh, there's this barbecue shack uh, near my apartment. And so I went up to pick up food. And I went to the, I called in early. I went to pick it up, went to the cashier. And the cashier um, looks up at me. And then he just blurts out, bulking season, right? And I was thinking, that's rude, right? <laughs> um, uh, if you don't know what that bulking season means, um, people who uh, exercise or work out, they have... Um, something called a bulking season where they gain mass and um, so they could get stronger. And during um, the spring or the summer when it's beach season, they call it cutting season or they kind of tone up uh, that so that they look good for the beach. So I always tell people, you know, you think people with six packs and all that are, are their strongest. Actually, they're not. Some people are really fat. They're the strongest. Um, but they call it bulking season. And so when I was waiting for my food, the guy just looks at me and he blurts out, bulking season. And my first reaction was like, that's rude because I'm not bulking. Like, well, I wanted to say in my head, you don't understand. So the day before, uh, Koreans traditionally eat this rice cake soup and it kind of expands in your body and then it goes to your face. This rice cake soup is the enemy. I'm not really bulking. I want to explain all that, but I didn't. Um, I just said, yeah, I, guess, I, don't know. I don't know how you respond to that when someone yells at you bulking season. And then he started telling me about his, the cornbread he likes and how he puts ice cream on cornbread. And I said, okay. He's like, next time you come, I'll make it for you. I was like, I don't know if that's bulking season or just fat season, but I said, okay, next time I come. And I made sure I will never go back again. Um, <clears throat> but there's some truth to that, and there's some wisdom that we can learn. Just as people in the physical body who train themselves, there's bulking seasons, and there's thinning seasons, or toning, or cutting seasons. Um, spiritually speaking, we are also in a season. CGS is in a season. And I believe when we start this season, we should start reminding ourselves what our core mission and values are. What is our core mission and value 
of CGS. And if you think about it, and it, we do have a mission statement, and that is we exist to glorify God. That's our first line. We exist to glorify God by blessing our neighbors through making disciples of Jesus Christ. We exist to glorify God by blessing our neighbors. How do we bless our neighbors? Through making disciples of Jesus Christ. That is CGS's mission statement. And I believe that is what our leader read when he read the Bible passage today. And that is the mission that we've been given is from the commissioning that Jesus gave. This is what is traditionally known as the Great Commission. And it's through Jesus' Great Commission we have our mission. But there's something that's implied. What is implied in this mission statement? What is implied in this passage if you want to go out with the commissioning? And that is, you have to be a disciple. To make disciples, you will first need to be a disciple. So before we go anywhere else, I wanted to talk about what it means to be a disciple of Christ. To do the commissioning, to have this mission statement, to live it out, to make disciples, you have to be a disciple. But what is a disciple? A lot of people think there's um, two, three levels of Christianity. I don't know how we do it, but sometimes we even draw a map for ourselves. This is the kind of levels we want in Christianity. And then when we offer discipleship courses, some people's responses could be, or may have been, no one told me, but may have been, I'm not there yet, Pastor Eugene. I'm not ready to be a disciple. So I'm not there yet. I'm like in more in the beginner stage. I don't know what that is, but whatever stage that is, and maybe two or three levels down the line, I'll take that discipleship course. But the truth of the matter is, there aren't multiple levels of discipleship. There is not, as Tim Keller says, there is not a regular disciple and then a disciple. Or there is not a regular Christian and then an ultimate disciple. There is only a Christian who is on the journey as a disciple of Jesus Christ. What is a disciple? What, it, what does it mean to be a disciple? And it's very simple. A disciple is someone who follows Christ. A disciple is someone to whom Christ goes, follow me. And you follow. Follow me and you follow. So how do you become a disciple? I wanted to go off by what it isn't. What it isn't. And in Luke chapter 9, I'm going to read a few verses for us. Luke chapter 9 says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand on the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Here we see three men that want to become disciples of Christ, and yet it is Christ who rejects them. 
And you have to wonder why. Why is this happening? And the first one is, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replies, saying, foxes have holes, birds have nests, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And you're like, what kind of answer is that? Here's a man who has this initiative, this vigor, this passion. I will follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. And Jesus responds, I have nowhere to lay my head. And if you think about it, it does sound romantic. If you read books and movies, this is a romantic line. I'm going to go with you wherever you go. Where you go is where I go. But that kind of loyalty that's depicted is from someone who may not really get it. And we see it here. And Jesus is saying, to follow me, to follow Jesus, is to throw out your relative security into complete insecurity you throw out your relative security into complete insecurity in your eyes in your eyes you think that you'll be this unstoppable soldier jesus you say go i will go i take this initiative but jesus is saying i where i'm going is i'm going to be condemned to death i'm going to take the cross i'm going to suffer and die everything in your realm now if you're this disciple this would-be disciple the answer this way is now my form of reality is no more foreseeable i thought that by following jesus i would get glory i thought if i follow jesus i would have all these options i thought if i follow jesus it wouldn't just be comfort i would have an overflow of riches and what what is the truth here jesus is going no that's not the case that's not the case and you might be thinking wait what i thought following jesus i would get better stuff and jesus goes no what we thought was a path to more freedom and more options and more choices is really narrowed down to one and that one path is narrow and it's not easy. Your house, and you have to give it up. Yeah, I said that. The house you work really hard for. If you follow Jesus, he goes, actually, I have no place to lay my head. You used to. Remember that really nice, comfortable bed? I have no place to lay my head when you follow me. Your car one thing I like about my car is it may not be expensive, but if I want to go from here to there, it does it for me, so I enjoy it. But what if I have to relieve that comfort? Your comfort, your actual comfort. And if Jesus goes, you have to actually let it go for me. You have to let it go. You're like, what? I don't think I want to sign up for that. Discipleship is a soul commitment to Christ alone. And this commitment, we have to first realize, does not come from a self-initiative. It doesn't come by your own passion. It doesn't come by your own vigor. It doesn't come no matter how well-intentioned you are. And while it's difficult for me to say that, this is in the Bible. There is an insurmountable chasm 
to being a disciple. We are people that long for comfort. We're, we like comfort. If my pillow isn't in a certain way, I can't go to sleep. Like there's some pillows that are just horrible. And so you find the good pillow. If there's some beddings that people don't like. Um, I remember when I was working, uh, that was back in the day, like um, thread count was huge. And now it's all fake. Uh, people are like, this is a 1,200 thread count Egyptian cotton. That's a lie. It's probably like three. But um, thread count was huge because when you jump on the bed, you just want to jump on a cloud of air. And then you get used to it. And then, you know, you can't sleep otherwise. Comfort is something that we long for. And yet, this is not what we are called into when we're called to be a disciple. This is what we have to recognize is so important. When Jesus does this call, it is an incredible call. This is what Oz Guinness calls the capital C call. This is the ultimate call on our life that we have to discern and be ready for. There are lowercase c calls like, what do I do with my life? What school do I go to? How am I going to make money? What should I do as a career? Those are lowercase c calls, and they're important. They're important, but the capital C, the ultimate C, is what we have to be thinking about here. Doctor, lawyer, sanitation worker, whatever it is, we want to know God's calling for us. And when we meet together, we talk about it. But I see there's something greater than that. And the ultimate call, the capital C call, is to be a disciple. And that's why before any other calling, we have to recognize that the call to be a disciple of Christ is of most importance. And we cannot do it alone. You know, when it comes down to it, people that were rich went to Jesus. Like, I want to follow you. What do I do? And he goes, you know what? Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. What did the young rich ruler do? He went away sad. And when, when he went away sad, Jesus wasn't like, I knew it. I knew he couldn't do it. Jesus was also sad. But there is a great cost to being a disciple. That means you have to have Jesus as the ultimate priority and this is going to be a running theme through all three people you have to have jesus as their ultimate priority um back when i was in hawaii uh i had i made some friends and there was this one guy who um i think he was uh part of um a hispanic a, a latin gang and he had you know and he he brought his wife and he had two kids and he was saved so he wasn't part of the, the gang anymore. And, but he still had that, you know, air about him, culture, the way he talked. And it was really cool to kind of meet him and kind of share life with him. And he had this really nice Yankee jersey that I thought was really nice. Um, it was that button-down jersey. Um, it was the pinstripe. And I know it was the one that cost about $200. And it was really nice. So I just... I just was, I was talking with him when we were walking down the street. And I said, like, you know, that's a really nice jersey. And he looks at me. He's like, you like this jersey? I, I was like, no, it's just nice. He's like, okay. And right then he just takes it off of his, sh of his body, of his torso, and gives it to me. He's like, bro, put back your shirt like you're naked now. All right? He didn't have anything underneath the jersey. 
And we were in, I mean, I guess we were in Hawaii, but he just took it off and gave it to me. And I recognized something that day. As awesome as that jersey was, when he saw that someone else would have joy in it, he had no attachment to it. And he just picked it up off of his body and gave it to me. And I said, no, you got to take it back. I don't want this jersey. I'm actually a Met fan. And he didn't care. <laughs> he just gave me the jersey. And I kept it. And I kept it. And I was praying, who else can I give it to? This wasn't for me to keep. I need to keep continue to pass it on. So when I met someone else who was a big Yankee fan, I did pass it on to them. So I don't have it to show you. But it was a really nice jersey. But there is something to that. You know, when we're called to be a disciple, what are you holding on to? Is it your house? Is it your car? It's time to weigh that cost, right? And number two, to the second one, Jesus actually goes to him, follow me. Great, right? Great. Wrong. He replies, let me first bury my father. And what's wrong with that? You know, what's wrong with having a nice house? What's wrong with having a nice car? What's wrong with a nice jersey? What's wrong with burying your father who passed away? It's actually a good thing. It's a good thing. But Jesus replies, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. One more time, we are reminded that the highest priority for a disciple is Jesus Christ. The highest calling that we receive from Jesus is to follow Jesus, listen to Jesus, teach the commands of Jesus. The highest priority is Jesus. You can't put anything or anyone above Jesus. And these things might not be bad things. They could be great things. Like honoring your father by burying him is a great, commendable, honorable thing. But what we have to recognize is there is no greater thing than Jesus. I do believe that our mission field is this generation. I do believe and I consider myself a missionary. When I first went to Pilgrim, they said, what's your goal and what's your mission? And I said, our generation is the mission field. Why have we become so secularized? Why have we fallen away? In youth group, a lot of people have fun. It's great. As soon as they go to college, it's like, you know what? Church is not my thing. What's going on? Why do we love the world so much? And a lot of people thought in the beginning, a lot of people thought it was schools. Schools teaching like evolution that's the enemy because they're taking god out a lot of people thought it was our schooling and higher education that's secularizing our children and generation but now people are changing people are recognizing certain things when are christian children becoming secularized meaning when are they seeing that god is not number one it's in the home it's in the home in, there was a study done by CNBC in 2014 that the cost of youth sports are setting again, again, to spiral out of control. People thought that, man, these schools are secularizing our children, but we see that it's actually happening in our homes, homes that think they're Christian. But what kids are seeing is when they are growing up, they look at the decisions that parents are making. And they are seeing that parents are putting 
extracurricular school, sports, whatever activities above church and faith and growing in the spirit. And there is no struggle at all sometimes. And that's the challenge. And now people are like, why isn't, um, why isn't, why isn't my kid going to church? Don't take just my word for it. It's Carrie Nuiwaf who writes about it. It was Kelly Holland who reported on it. In fact, don't take their word for it. Take Jesus' word. You cannot be a disciple if you don't put Jesus as your ultimate priority. Nothing, and I mean nothing, is permitted to come between you and the one that has called and Jesus, the one that has called you. Nothing is to come between you and Jesus. Number three, this man goes, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. At first glance, it may sound similar, and in a lot of ways it is to the second man. But Jesus says to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And you might be like, what? what, what? <laughs> let me just say bye to my friends, and I'll come. I'll come and serve you. Jesus goes, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit to serve me. It's like, what's going on? Because he too says, let me first. By saying that, we put our own parameters up. You cannot set your own conditions and follow Jesus. You know what, God? I'll serve you Sundays, but on Fridays, it's me time. That's the condition. And you might be wondering, what's wrong with that? I do need me time. I need Eugene time. But the very act of setting your own parameters means that Christ isn't the one that you want to follow. But it is yourself. So, Jesus says earlier in the chapter, and this is key here. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Whoever who would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? You know, I can't follow me anymore. There are you, there are those of you that have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And he is good. And he is faithful. I can't go back. I am cut to the heart. What do I do? In Acts chapter 2, when Peter preached the gospel and the good news, people had that response. I am cut to the heart. What do I do? I want to follow Jesus, but I recognize that all these parameters that are set, it's impossible. I just can't do it. I can't do it in my own initiative. I got to put Christ Jesus as first priority over everything. I, 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 I don't know how to do it. I, I got to make sure I don't make my, my, make my own conditions. I make my conditions all the time. When I go to Burger King, I still have conditions because I like it my way. And everywhere I go, there are my own conditions. And you're telling me I can't live like that, but that's the only way I know how to live. What do I do? And I'm cut to the heart because I know Jesus is the only way. I've had a taste. I've had a taste and I can't go back. In Acts chapter 2, Peter replies, repent. 
and be baptized. No longer can we do it with our own initiative and strength. We can't rally ourselves up and say, CGS, we could do this. Look at our manpower. When Pastor John was saying at the retreat, man, you guys are one of the biggest churches in the area. Some of us might have been like, yeah, that's good to hear. But the truth of the matter is, it doesn't matter how big you are. You cannot do it with your own initiative and strength. You cannot do it no matter how big you are. That's something to think about. I wanted to share something really personal and my thoughts about it, at least, is um, recently there has been this movement. It's called the hashtag MeToo movement. And when that first came out, uh, I had a lot of thoughts. Uh, I, I spoke with Pastor Paul, and I shared my thoughts. And I actually didn't participate, even though I do have not just one, but multiple hashtag Me Too moments, even as a man. Um, and I've thought about it. I have come to the conclusion that the Me Too movement has no intrinsic value. What, that, what I'm trying to say is it's not good or bad. It's not a terrible thing, and it's not a good thing. It is what it is. And I'll tell you what it is. What we are doing now is what we're sharing, and we're burdening one another and when we're sharing we lighten the load maybe for ourselves by sharing it but we share and we put it on someone else right by sharing it. and when we share it publicly we're putting that load on someone else as well and I have to say from the biblical truth that we have been learning and growing in what we have to recognize is if there is no healing and we're just sharing sharing is not healing and we're just sharing, then it is just as dangerous as harboring it by yourself. If we're just sharing and there is no healing, then it's just as dangerous as harboring it yourself. I believe MLK Jr. was able to affect change effectively because he did it through Christ and he was able to heal and forgive. And through that healing and forgiving, he still fought for racial equality. Apartheid was able to be uh, destroyed in South Africa because Desmond Tutu, Nelson Mandela, they recognize something. You know what? It's not me versus them. We can't be tribal anymore. So even the white people in South Africa, they said, share your story and we won't judge you. We'll forgive you. And there wasn't a tribalism and they started a healing process what we have to recognize is that without repentance, we cannot be healed. Repentance is saying, I cannot do it on my own. We cannot do it on our own. The direction that we are going, if we continue in this direction, we want change. I want change. I want equality. I want fairness. I want all these things. I want justice. And I continue to walk this way. But if we are not healed, then it's the exact same way as before. How many times have we seen in history the oppressed become the oppressors? And it's just the same thing over again. You think, oh yeah, I was oppressed for like 10 years of my life. And now guess who's boss? I'm the boss of this fool. 
who just gave me a horrible time and then you start oppressing that person there's no healing there that oppressive system is still intact and that cycle will continue on and i dare say if it's nationwide or worldwide that system will continue to turn and turn for generations there has to be repentance there has to be healing there has to be a turning saying this system was bad i gotta stop pointing fingers i gotta turn around and walk toward jesus jesus is the one that can heal that's why repentance is turning around and just as jesus says taking up the cross what does that mean to take up the cross when you take up the cross you can't hold on to anything else tightly because you're holding on to the cross one of my favorite uh, scenes in um, the passion of the christ was and i share this i think quite often because for me it was a momentous i thought if anything that moment in the movie was worth watching and the rest of the movie i couldn't watch because you know the screen was blurry i don't know why but um it was when jesus came out and the cross was so heavy he fell but he embraced it and someone on the side goes you fool why are you embracing that cross and that broke me because he embraced that cross for me and when we hold on to the cross what we are saying is i don't want anything else other than jesus i don't want to hold on to anything else tightly more than i hold on to jesus that's why when we repent we turn around we look toward jesus and we hold on to nothing else as tightly and then we are baptized repent and be baptized right so to follow him baptism is a sign baptism isn't the thing itself when we look for the bathroom what do we look for we look for the sign but no one goes and looks at the sign and starts you know doing their business that's crazy a sign points to the actual thing so when we look for a restroom or the bathroom we look for the sign and it points us their baptism is a sign baptism points to our engraftment to the body of christ jesus is the one that says i am the vine you are the branches when we follow jesus we abide in him and then we become part of god's family and as we are part of god's family we finally bear fruit jesus says you will bear much fruit finally we get to live out the life we were supposed to and meant to live alone the branch was able to bear no fruit alone the branch was continued to wither and die but when we become engrafted into christ we finally can bear fruit and jesus says you will bear much fruit to be a disciple is to finally live out the life we were meant to live out and jesus says i have come to give life that you would live life abundantly not just mediocre not just minimally but in the fullness that we were meant to call that's why when jesus goes to levi who now was mark but when jesus goes to levi and goes come follow me levi who was a tax collector making a lot of money just left the tax collector's booth and just followed him hey wait, wait, what about the books don't we have to um, make sure the books are okay so whoever comes after him can continue to record nothing like that just left it and followed him jesus goes to fishermen like peter and his brothers james and john come follow me and they just dropped their nets and immediately followed him
the reason why is that the call to become a disciple of Christ isn't just any call. It's the ultimate call. It's the gracious call. It's the call to come out of the muck and mire and into the light. This call is something that we will have to live out and work out. This is what we call the maturing of our salvation. This is the theme that we have for 2018 in CGS. And I want us to remember that. Our ultimate call, our capital C call, is to be a disciple of Christ. Os Guinness continues to write this, and I'm going to give you his quote. Calling is the truth that God calls us to himself so decisively that everything we are, everything we do, and everything we have is invested with a special devotion, dynamism, and direction lived out as a response of his summons and service. CGS, this is the call that we've been given. Some of you have forgotten what it means to be a disciple. And the world slowly crept up on you and started to drag you down. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Ask God to renew a right spirit within you. You know, it was the Puritans who prayed. The Puritans. These are hardcore Christians who would do everything to the T just so that they could... Make sure they please God. But it was the Puritans who prayed desperately that God would break their hearts for what broke his. They would pray prayers saying, God, give us tears. We stop crying. We stop crying for the brokenness in the world. We stop crying for the brokenness in ourselves. We stop crying and I need tears because I don't want to be afar from you. I don't want to be apart from you. And I need to be close to you. So they prayed that prayer. And I would say, pray that prayer if you have forgotten what it means to be a disciple. God, give me tears again. And for some of you, it's actually the time to answer the call to be a disciple of Christ. And for you, let the fear and anxiety you had before, may it be replaced with the peace of Christ. No matter what in life, you will come upon dark times. And as a disciple of Christ, Christ's promise is that he will be with you always to the end of time. And for the rest of you, I want to say, remember once again what it means to be a disciple and regain your vigor. It's time to work. It's time to put your hand to the plow and look forward, not backward, to the kingdom of God and go. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the word that you've given us. We thank you for this message. And Lord God, how you have shown us that this discipleship is impossible to achieve on our own. But Lord God, it is possible if you are with us and you are the one calling us. I pray for our hearts that I've gathered here this morning. I pray that we would be able to hear the gentle whisper of your Holy Spirit calling us to be disciples of Christ, showing us the way to the fullness of the life you have prepared for us. Let's take this time to pray and lift up our hearts to the Lord. Wherever your heart is, 
We're going to ask that you ask the Holy Spirit to intercede for you and to lead your words and prayers and your heart so that you can grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.